millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com on today's Indian Wells Catch-Up. Cam Nori enters the record books. Paola Bedosa wins the biggest title of her career. And Grigor Dimitrov gets his groove back. Kim, we are back. Indian Wells is finished and we have our two new men's and women's singles champions out in the desert. We have Spain's Paula Bedosa and for British fans, very excitingly, we have Britain's Cam Norrie as the men's singles champion. And again, these last couple of weeks, the fifth Grand Slam out in the desert has has delivered. You know, this has been a tournament, you know, for example, on the men's side, the big three weren't there. And, you know, all the talk was about Medvedev, Sissipas, Zverev and Rublev, the uh, the so-called new, I guess, Fab Four, and to see how they were doing. And I guess from a British perspective on the women's side as well, we, you know, we were all talking about... Emma Raducanu and how is she going to kind of progress from that, you know, shock US Open win. But we have ended, we were going in talking about Emma Raducanu and now we have ended in a completely different space. And we are now talking about Britain's Cam Norrie. He has been the surprise package of the season, hasn't he? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, he's had a tremendous year. And I, I don't know what's happening, Joel, because British British people are winning big titles. <laughs> this is insane. Not <laughs> this, named Andy Murray as well. Yeah, this doesn't normally happen. Although, to be fair, Joe Conter did win, I think, Miami, didn't she, a few seasons back. But this is, you know, very unexpected. Cam's had a great season, got to lots of finals, but has only actually come away with, with one title this year. So for him to claim only his second ATP title when it to be a Masters 1000, event and kind of not just any Masters 1000 Indian Wells is is that little bit tougher than you know your your average Masters 1000 so um it's just remarkable and also a weird quirky numerical fact that both of them were the 21st seeds that that won so Nori and Bedosa both the 21st seeds don't think many people would have picked uh both of them to have walked away with the titles uh on Sunday no it was a I mean both tournaments really it was it was a completely open field. It was there. It was anyone's for the taking as if you were just in the draw, I think, kind of going on into the tournament, you you felt like you had a chance. And, you know, for Cam Norrie, yes, uh, his season has been very, very good. But I think even by his own admission, this is beyond his kind of wildest dreams to win a a Masters 1000 tournament. But this is the situation this we're in. and, And I think this is you know, testament to how well, how consistent I think he has been playing across the, you know, across the season, because he is a player, I don't think that has any big weapons in his game. But at the same time, he doesn't really have any obvious weaknesses. And he he's almost kind of asserted this season, this sort of wall-like nature, I think, to him and the him and his opponents and to his sort of brand of tennis, I think. And I, mean, I was watching some of his matches during the week and you know, really kind of against, you know, for example, against Schwartzman in the quarterfinals, it was just, it was just very clear. I think a lot of the, his opponents just don't really know what to do when the ball is just kind of coming back at, back at them. It's a looping forehand. It feels very kind of Rafa-esque, dare I say. It was, it was interesting to hear kind of the, I think Tim Hemman actually call it, describe it like that on uh, commentary. And I do genuinely think at the moment, you know, he's, I don't think he's obviously at the level of, of Rafa Nadal at his peak, but certainly without kind of Rafa on the scene, Nori really, I think, embodies that level of of defence, I think, that, that Nadal certainly kind of brings to the court. Yeah, I think um, comparisons of Rafa can go to a certain extent, but we're not going to get carried <laughs> away. Um, I know exactly what you mean. Like Cam's really physically 
strong and consistent as well. Mm. And I think that's been a really big key thing that he's worked on and that's allowed him to be so consistent this season. He's right up there with kind of the most match wins on tour. And I think especially in this particular final, you know, he was a set down um, and, you know, we saw in his last final in uh, San Diego against Casper Rude, you know, he kind of got blasted off the court mm. and it was just so impressive that although he was down in this one, you know, he came back, he turned it around, stormed through that third set. And I think it's also the manner in which he won, you know, the final over Basilashvili. You know, to be fair, Basilashvili, I think, was a didn't really have a like a plan B. He seemed a bit one dimensional. And I think he was definitely from the word go, you know, a winnable opponent. But, you know, compared to facing someone else in a, in a Masters final. But I was really pleased with how T- Cam just kind of stuck his head down, got on with it and, you know, brought brought it back and just ran away with it at the end. Yeah, because, I mean, the scoreline was 3-6-6-4-6-1. I think that opening set that he dropped was the first time, you know, he was down in, in the tournament. But as as you said, you, you just feel with Basashvili, yes, he is known as a quite an aggressive player in terms of, you know, from the baseline. A bit flashier, flashier, I think, than obviously Cam Norrie and a bit more attuned, I think, to kind of the, the highlights reel. But, you just felt that the more the more it went into that match, that you know, there were going to be errors, there were going to be unforced errors sort of racking up on Basilashvili's side. And that, I think, I really helped kind of Norrie. And, you know, you talk about his consistency, the fact that it was just kind of coming back to him. It was just very, it was just very, very good. And and by the end of it, Basilashvili didn't really have an answer. And I think certainly the, the court as well helped uh, Norrie this week. It's It's been quite slow. It's been quite bouncy as well. And, you know, with that heavy topspin that Nori applies um, on his forehand, you know, particularly, I think, when he was targeting kind of players' backhands, I you know, remember that the semifinal against Dimitrov was quite a key strategy kind of for him. But it, I think the, the court surface helped. It wasn't too quick and it was able, his court coverage, I think, was just very exceptional. And wherever he was on court, he didn't really feel kind of off balance and was able to kind of get the you know, get the most out of, of what position he kind of found himself in. And again, I think that was one of the other reasons he's done so well this week was the fact that this court meant that the rallies were going to be extended and it might have just been a test within that point in terms of who can kind of stay out the, the longest without kind of committing an error. And that sort of wall-like approach, I think, that, that Nori now has to his game has been very, very impressive. And, you know, I think we've seen, I think, over the season, you know, his his game has evolved. You know, I've I've spoken and been a critic, to be honest, about his, his double-handed backhand, how I think he needed to get a little bit more kind of purchase on it to not be, I think, which I think was kind of a weakest, maybe, if we, if we looked at Nori's game kind of 12 months ago. But he has really, really improved. And I think really now he's almost kind of like the you know, the premier, I think, all-court player because he's a, he's a man who can just do it on, on any court surface as as he's proven this season. Yeah, I think he's got to finals on all surfaces. Mm. Am I right in thinking? Definitely grass yep. and hard. Um, and, you know, he's had a manner of different sort of wins this week. You know, he's had some three-setters against, like, Roberto Bautista, Agut, Tommy Paul, and then he's also sort of thrashed opponents like that Schwartzman mm. match, which really, you know, was sort of very eye-opening. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And I think he also has an outside chance of still qualifying for the um, Turin, uh, you know, end of season finals, finals, which would definitely not be something anyone would have thought at the start of the season would would be a thing. I mean, are are you surprised by that? I mean, he's now the British number one. Um, He overtook Dan Evans this week. He is going to be a top 20 player. And I think, you know, even for some British tennis fans to hear the fact that Cam Norrie is going to be in the top 20 is a bit surprising. You know, I think I would have, yeah, put him in definitely in that sort of 20 to 30 category. But, you know, the fact that he's, his consistency is, is putting him now in, in a really kind of high level that, you know, not even, you know, I think Dan, you know, Dan Evans hasn't, you know, hasn't reached. It's, it's very, very impressive. And, you know, the fact that if he could re- qualify for, for Turin, I think that would be, again, it, it would show, I think it would recognize his consistency across the whole season in terms of maybe not necessarily at Grand Slams. I think, you know, there's obviously, I think, still work to do there. And I think with a higher ranking, you know, he should, in theory, get a more kind of favorable draw, but certainly on the tour, at these 250s, 500s, and now Masters 1000s events, he seems to be, you know, one of the, you know, he's not 
he's not necessarily just a dark horse anymore. He could. He, he's now kind of arguably one of the favourites. Yeah, and with a higher ranking and, and better seedings, you know, we should hopefully that that should ena- enable you to get mm. to the deeper stages of tournaments with a bit, you know, more ease. And um, hopefully, him, you know, getting into the top twenty will propel Dan Evans to also want to, you mm. know, obviously achieve that that big milestone. I mean, it bodes very well for Davis Cup at the moment. It was, absolutely. It was. Gay- I mean, it was quite interesting to hear. You know, Andy Murray was. I think he was a bit like. I don't think I'd get into the the Davis Cup team at the moment, you know, given you know how solid I think that the team is in terms of singles and doubles. You know, you've got Evans and uh, Evans and Norrie for singles, Joe Salisbury, Jamie Murray. Um, it's you know it's looking like a very strong team at the moment, and I think that's come uh, yeah it's come off the back of this you know this I think this surprise success that that Norrie has had this season because. Again, I don't think anyone was really expecting it. And even when it was sort of happening at the start of the season, we were sort of thinking, oh, it's going to, it's going to fade out inevitably at some point. But it's just, it's just kicked on and on. And I, I don't know if, if, you know, his opponents aren't really sure how to kind of combat his game at the moment, but it's certainly working very, very well for him. And in a, you know, in a tournament, I think where there was no big three and, you know, there there was inconsistency from the the top players. It it felt like if you could just string, you know, a combination of matches together and not let your level dip, then you had a very good chance of winning this tournament. And I think that's exactly what Nori has done. Yeah, and you know, if he's going to be the one to to clear up while the others, you know, can't do so, mm. then well, why not? And I mean, we have had Carl Edmund up in the top twenty before, so mm. and obviously he's, he Carl has struggled a lot with injuries. So I just hope Cam can can stay fit and healthy and you know can make the most of this kind of new newfound ranking that he's got and also kim he needs to continue wearing the sun the sunblock the visible sunblock mm. um which i thought was quite funny i know a lot of players would not do that and i think some people think it is a bit of a fashion faux pas but i i absolutely love that look with the like yeah like the white the white block under the eyes i mean it was some very punishing conditions um at time out out in the desert yeah, and I'm a big fan of players wearing the, that visible sunblock <laughs> because I think it's an important message to to say that yes, we we need to protect ourselves. You know, it's really important. <laughs> so I think if people can see that he's doing it visibly, that's good a good message. He needs to have the uh, the the Union Jack sunblock <laughs> in in the colours. I'm expecting that next time or at Davis Cup. Um, yeah, paint. we need to. But I'm assuming at Wimbledon, you know, it would have to be a strictly all white situation. I'm sure. I'm sure it would. <laughs> he also perhaps could, should keep losing his tennis shoes because that obviously, mm. you know, worked well for him this this week. But um, what is it with British players and their shoes? Because Cam Norrie lost his shoes this week. Andy Murray lost his wedding ring because he'd attached it to his shoes, which he'd left dry under his car oh overnight and then I woke know. up in the morning. <laughs> shoes weren't there. Wedding ring wasn't there. Um, he was posting on social media for help. Obviously, his wife, Kim, was probably not very happy. Um, <laughs> and eventually, eventually, he was reunited with the, with the shoes and the ring. But um, yeah, that was a bit of hoo-ha that was doing the rounds. I know. It captivated, Kim, it captivated everyone, I think, on tennis twitter on on social media uh, earlier on in the tournament andy murray you know got very serious didn't it It was all you know lots of kind of pleas out on on social media i think he was at one point gonna potentially need to get the the police involved but yeah fortunately it turned up his wedding ring turned up uh in lost and found in lost property at his hotel uh so i'm i'm, I'm glad it had a, a happy ending i will say so i will say though kim i mean looking at photos of having his ring on his shoe i'm not sure that's i'm just not sure that's a good location to have it and the fact that he was he enlightened us to to the fact that you know he's been in similar situations before where he he thinks he's lost his ring um makes you think maybe he should find another place for it because i know as a i know as a tennis player sort of growing up that if you played for a local club for example you might get a tag that you can put in your on your shoe within your laces but something like a wedding ring i'm not sure if it's the i'm not sure if it's the right place yeah i guess i'm just trying to think of alternatives he could have a little keepsake box which he then puts in his bag (laughs) or he could wear it around his neck on a chain Mm. i'd wear it around my neck i think i i you know i I mean i think that would be i mean i guess that could get quite not you might think about it a bit more but um 
do I mean, all, all male players preference. have like do all male players have an issue with you know the ring and and <laughs> you know i'm sure a lot of other mm. players wear their rings so um i, I don't know I, I i haven't played tennis with a ring on my finger <laughs> so i'm not sure how annoying it would be um yes i think listeners do you have any suggestions for where andy murray should store his <laughs> wedding ring because i guess in this particular instance he just forgot to put it back on like you think that's the first thing he should do when he, you know he's finished with his practice or whatever is to, to re-put the ring back on. But alas, he obviously forgot and, you know. Just just speaking on, on Murray, because if we do look at his, his performances on court, they have been building and building over the last few months. And again, he put, um, you know, he had a very impressive victory. Um, he obviously, he beat Manorino in the first round, but then came up against Carlos Alcaraz, who was coming off, you know, that whirlwind US Open where, you know, he beat Stefanos Tsitsipas, um and well, I think what did he reach? I think he reached the did he reach the quarterfinals? I think, um, but you know he he beat Carlos Alcaraz in a very very impressive and a very war of attrition style match that I think went over three hours. It was there was no cloud cover. It looked it looked really brutally hot. It looked like conditions that you know you would say I think back in kind of Andy Murray's pub that he would absolutely relish and. I think what was so fun about that match was I think actually both competitors were absolutely relishing kind of the occasion. You know, I think you know, Murray's previously kind of tipped um, Alcaraz to be a, a potential future world number one. And Alcaraz was probably kind of looking at Murray in terms of, you know, a, a legend of the game who's, you know, won, uh, you know, multiple Grand Slam titles. And it was just such a interesting and, and fun battle to watch. And Murray eventually broke down Alcaraz who won that that opening set but yeah very promising signs I think for for Andy Murray another kind of step in the right direction yes he did lose to Sasha Zverev in in the following round in straight sets but again he's bringing he's bringing a level of tennis to the court that is making me as a fan a lot more confident in terms of where he can go uh, particularly I think with his ranking and not you know, not just sort of relying on, on wild cards at, at 250s to get by, because I certainly think he's playing now a level of tennis that it, it, it commands him to be, um, you know, not just, I think, automatic direct entry into a main draw, but certainly I think he should be kind of pushing for, for seedings again, because the, the level he's showing, I think, is, is above where his ranking is at the moment. Yeah, I agree. He's um, he just needs to get that little bit further because he keeps getting quite mm. bad draws. But he's done well <laughs> to come through, you know, to a certain extent. So, um, and let's hope he'll figure out the wedding ring situation in the future as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but let's have a look at what happened elsewhere in the men's side of things at Indian Wells because, like we were saying, you know, we had the top four seeds all going out in the quarterfinals or earlier. So. You know, Rublev, Zverev, Medvedev and Tsitsipas, none of them making it through to the latter stages. Um, I mean, perhaps most pleasing for for many fans was was Grigor Dimitrov uh, beating Daniel Medvedev. And that's not a slide against, a snide against Daniel Medvedev, but more a, yay, Grigor Dimitrov is back <laughs> and has had a resurgent week. <laughs> I mean, Medvedev was playing really, really well in that match. Uh, he was 6-4, 4-1 up. And, you know, from that point... Against Grigor Dimitrov this season, you would have just thought, you know, given Medvedev, US Open champion, he would have just kind of walked walked to victory from that position. But Dimitrov had completely other ideas and came back from a, a double breakdown in that second set and and won through four six six four six three. Um, and it it was just yeah, as you said, it was just so pleasing to watch because you know we know Dimitrov has. This, uh, you know, we know he has the the ability and the, the talent, but you know, this season he's shown it very few and, and far between in terms of his his matches. And I think this was his his first time. Um, sorry, it was the first time he had defeated a top two opponent since 2016. It just shows you how long he's had to wait for a, a victory against a, a, an opponent of the the caliber of of um of Medvedev. Um, and it was his first time that he'd got to a, a Masters 1000 event um this season um in the quarterfinals so it was you know it was very pleasing to see i'm I'm loving this sort of renaissance we're having with grigor dimitrov because um again he's such a likable guy on the tour and although i think you know we've not got federer nadal Djokovic, i think we're i think we're always sort of as default already sort of looking forward to you know the people on, on you know the, the next set of people whereas actually you've got to remember there are other people as well as part of that generation still playing and i've firmly put 
Dimitrov in that category. And again, it was just great to see him, I think, roll back the years um, with, the, some, with some of the tennis he was playing at Indian Wells. Yeah, he's one of those players that you always feel miss the boat slightly. So mm. it's nice when he does have a nice, nice result here and there. And he is also one of those players you can never quite rule out. And he's always potentially got that possibility in a draw to uh, to do something. I loved his outfit as well. I loved that. I mean, he always has, I feel like he always has such a strong look on court. And I loved his, uh, loved his Nike outfit actually in, uh, in the desert. It's a fashion fave, not a faux pas. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we also had Basilashvili who obviously beat uh, Stefanos Sitsipas and then made it all the way to the final. Taylor Fritz took out Sasha Zverev. I mm. think, I think that one was a bit, um, ironic because Zverev, uh, did he try and shush the crowd yes. uh, on match point and then subsequently yes. lost? which I'm sure pleased many people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what was quite funny about that was, I think, I mean, I think there's been a, a running theme of, of the week and probably one of the, probably, to be honest, one of the only kind of negative things about the, the tournament, because I think, you know, the matches, broadly speaking, across both the, the men and women's draws were really high quality matches, despite, you know, arguably you might say the lack of star names maybe and on on the men's side but we had some really real quality battles but at the same time they were being played in front of very sparse crowds at times and I think that was probably the biggest disappointment as a fan kind of watching it on tv you know I don't think it helped that I think that the stadium they play in that the center court for them is I think the second biggest purpose-built tennis stadium in the world but I don't really think it helped uh, these last couple of weeks because the fans would just for whatever reason whether that was vaccinations or the fact that it was in a desert um, or the fact there were no star names there they didn't really come out in in full force and uh, you know maybe that helped you know the these lower ranked players relax a, a little bit and, and pull out these kind of upset victories but um, yeah it was quite funny to see kind of Zverev kind of shushing a crowd which was like <laughs> 20 percent full or, or whatever uh yeah and um yeah it was uh you know he'll be obviously disappointed with that but um yeah great win for for taylor fritz and a player who i think again has probably seen over the you know the the american hard court swing other american players kind of make names for themselves you know talking about kind of you know going back to the very start you know mackenzie mcdonald and, and brandon nakashima and i think with this you know with his performance in uh indian wells taylor fritz certainly made a yeah, he's made a name for himself again. I think you know we've we've obviously known him uh, for a while, but um, certainly that was very pleasing. I think for him to get such a big victory under his belt, um, taking out Zverev from match point down. Yeah, and another American, Tommy Paul, beating Rublev as well, and then uh, subsequently then going on to lose uh, to Cam Norrie. So yeah, I guess um, perhaps a bit surprising there, Rublev, you know, falling to someone like Tommy mm. Paul, but I think it was a last set tie break. Um, he wanted to focus on the doubles, Kim. He clearly wanted to focus on the doubles because <laughs> Andre Rublev, lot, well, he got to the doubles final with Aslan Karatsev. They didn't quite go all the way because they lost to John Piers and Palasek. Um, well, I don't know about Palasek. Is it Fi- Philip Palasek, I think, mm, isn't it? I think um, so, yeah. But yeah, Australian men's doubles champions, um, first in 22 years. So uh, yeah, Rublev, yeah, with his, uh, you know, feet in the Olympics, getting that, was it the the, uh, the bronze, I think, in the mixed doubles yes. or the gold in the yes. mixed doubles? Yes, yes. No, gold, gold in the mixed doubles, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really, it was really impressive from Piers and Placet. Yeah, for John Piers to become the first, I can't believe that's what happened in 22 years. Uh, first Australian man to become a, a doubles champion at Indian Wells. Very, very impressive stuff. To be honest, though, it was a bit of a, you know, it, it, it did kind of go the same way as the, uh, you know, the, the men's singles competition in the sense that not really the, the top seeds kind of living up to their billing. And this sort of opened up opportunities for, well, in, in Karatsev and Rublev's case, um, you know, in that, I think in the bottom half, it was kind of an, an un, all unseeded um, semi-final. And, you know, Piers and Palasek, very good players, very good doubles players in their in their own right. But um, I don't, again, I think we were sort of expecting we weren't expecting a, a you know a Nori Baslashvili final. I don't think in the men's doubles we were expecting a Piers Palasek Karatsev Rublev final either. No, quite. And I don't know what's going on with Mektic and Pavic, but I was you know I saw that they lost quite early on, and I was uh, yeah quite shocked really. Um, mm. In fact, they what lost, is going they on? Lost to Palasek what is going Piers. on, Kim? Yeah, I know, shocking. <laughs> no, Joe Salisbury as well. Didn't not not really not really getting there. It was it was certainly it was certainly a you know I think on the men's side it was just a a tournament that just had so many quality matches, but a lot of those matches ending in upsets, and I think that's what made it kind of so entertaining for for people who who did make the trip out there was that 
they were getting a lot of i think they were getting good content for uh you know va- good value for money i think in terms of the matches w- that were put on for them but i understand like it it did look brutally hot out there i mean it didn't look like there was a lot of like cloud cover or or shade um at times on that center court so i can understand why that might have put off people and why we did see you know crowds that i think were a little bit below i think maybe what was what was expected and and maybe the fact that it was in you know october as well different a different time of the year it might have also had an impact so you know, I I think it was a you know it's been an interesting one. The fact that they were able to kind of reschedule it, I think, has been you know it's obviously been great. But yeah, I want to get back to the sunshine double with the uh, <laughs> with Miami earlier on in the season. I think will be a you know I think that's I think is where it probably should belong, and maybe maybe this tournament has has potentially proved that with regards to those small capacity crowds. I think we've had across the the couple of weeks. Mm, absolutely let's take a quick break now but do join us in the second half where we'll be having a look at Paola Badosa's epic win against Victoria Azarenka what went wrong for Emma Raducanu in the Indian Wells and also looking ahead at all the draws as we head back to the hard courts of Europe so do not go anywhere This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we are going to move on to looking at the women's singles from Indian Wells, which saw the 21st seed in the women's singles also win the title. Um, This was slightly different fashion. Uh, Very, very close match against Victoria Azarenka. Went down to a last set tie break, uh, but Paola Bedosa has come through to win her second WTA title of the year. um, And also her career it's a bit like nori as well he's he's got his first two titles this year they're having very similar seasons um and yeah bedosa edging through in that last set tie break against azarenka just over three hours long i think it was the longest wta final of the season so really really good match um to kind of warm up the crowd that did make it there to, <laughs> to see it in person yeah it was an absolutely fantastic match i think one of if not the match um of the of the tour so far on on the wta side it was just such gripping tennis it felt like every every service game was a battle in its own right and particularly that first set when i think it lasted about 80 minutes both really kind of going for it and you know bodosa edging it in the in in that first set tie break seven five for azarenka then to kind of put that to one side and come back, um, you know, and take that second set very, very handsomely, you know, 6-2. It was a, it was a match that I think sort of very much kind of ebbed and, and flowed. And that's what I think made it so entertaining. And both players were really bringing some, some high quality play, particularly, I think, from the, the back of the court. We know that they are both such great sh- shot makers and love to be, you know, quite aggressive, um, and hit winners from the, the back of the court. And again, it just made it such a fascinating, uh, duel. I think it was the first time they had met. Um, and, you know, Bedosa, again, one of these players who, maybe i think we've not really heard much of um you know in the the you know co- coming into the season but has certainly made a name for herself uh this season you know i think we watched a bit of her kim at wimbledon and you could see i think with her game how it's so well suited to um you know all the different court surfaces a little bit like nori actually but obviously she's i think has a bit more power in relation to kind of the the, the women's game and um yeah i think for her the, the biggest kind of the, the biggest reason she won this match was the fact that she was able to kind of take those two tie breaks and really, I think, not let any sort of nerves kind of get the better of her. I think Azarenka actually served for it in that, that third set tie break. So the fact that she was able to kind of play fearless tennis at the right time, um, it, I think shows you the level of confidence that she was playing with. And I think the level of how much she, you know, how much she really wanted to win this, this match, because there were moments where you felt like it was, Azarenka's potentially for the taking. You know, after winning that second set 6-2, I was sort of expecting Azarenka to kind of run away with it. But the fact that Bedosa kind of fought back, it was a very, it was a very, very gripping match. And, you know, at the end of it, it was it was also played in the right spirit, which I think was was great. Um, you know, Azarenka's speech as well uh, at the end. It just shows, you know, even though in, in defeat she was so gracious and it was just such a you know, it was for for people who did attend and, and watch that final, it was just such a yeah, it was just such a fantastic match to watch. 
Yeah, I think Azarenka had a slightly better kind of winner to unforced error ratio, I'm sure, from that second set. But at the end of the day, when push come to shove, yeah, in those tie breaks, especially that that third set, I think Bedosa came out with some lovely winners when it mattered most. So she really went for it. She's also into the top 20, Joel, for the first time. She's gone up to 13 in the world. And funnily enough, quite similar to, to Cam as well. She's she's in the p- potential for um, the, the WTA season ending finals as well. But Bedosa, Bedosa is in the eighth place at, at the moment for that. There's still two weeks to go uh, until that event in Guadalajara. So we'll see if she actually does get there. I mean, it was so impressive from Bedosa from the whole week. I mean, she had to defeat uh, four top 20 players um, and three major Grand Slam champions. So she'd be Azarenka, Kerber and Krachikova, who I Kim, I, I was looking at a stat earlier about Krachikova. I swear she just loses to the winner in any tournament uh, she plays with. I feel like she she gets quite unlucky in terms of who, who she faces because she's another player who's, again, had a very, very strong season. But uh, yeah, for Bedosa, it was just very, very impressive given that, you know, it was her debut as well at Indian Wells. It was the first time she'd ever played here. And, you know, I think at the start of the week, she was talking about how you know, I think she was, I think I was reading, you know, she was talking to her boyfriend on a, on, on the airplane over and, you know, she was a little bit not confident. She was a little bit, um, you know, afraid or, you know, she wasn't really sure what to kind of expect, uh, from Indian Wells. But by the end of the, you know, by the end of the competition, yeah, she was just playing fearless, fearless tennis. And I think that's what got her over the line against Azarenka, who again, great to see her, I think come back and, and get to a, a final of a WTA 1000 event because I think Azarenka this season certainly has blown has blown a lot blown a lot Kim of, of hot and cold I think it's fair to say yeah definitely she has been quite up and down and um but yeah Pedosa I mean Pedosa as well like this is I guess her breakthrough season you know she did really well at Roland Garros where she I guess probably became known to many tennis fans for the first time there and um also had some good wins this week over Goff and Yastremska and on Jabour as well. So, but yeah, like a whole host of good names. She's done a Bianca Andrescu because Andrescu won this title back in 2019 on her debut as well. So uh, two debut winners on the trot and also the first Spanish uh, lady to to win the title as well. So something that, you know, Muguruza has not been able to do. Conchita Martinez wasn't able to do. Um, Arancha sanchez Vicario. So, you know, making history for Spain as well. And um, yeah, really nice really nice to see her do that for Spanish tennis. Um, Interestingly enough, she actually split from her coach after the Olympics, but she's now back working with a coach she worked with in her childhood. So I wonder if that's been, you know, the critical factor in propelling her to this title. And just Kim talking about Azarenka, uh, another player who seemingly has come out of nowhere and, and put a little bit of a run together at Indian Wells, getting to the the semi-finals before succumbing to, to Azarenka, Yelena Ostapenko. Where on earth did that come from? That was her first WTA 1000 semi-final in three years. She looked at one point like she was actually going to reach the final. She, I think, won that first set against Azarenka. And it was it, it took a lot, I think, from Azarenka to kind of steady steady that ship and put it on the, on the right course to really kind of overcome um, Ostapenko in, uh, in her own final set tiebreak. So um, great to see, great to see Yelena Ostapenko get back there. I think you were slightly disappointed though, because I know you spoke about Shelby Rogers in our predictions episode, potentially to put a little bit of a run together. And she, she did very well, didn't she? She, you know, she beat Leila, Leila Fernandez, um, where, uh, you know, obviously Fernandez would have been the, the higher ranked seed. Uh, she beat Begu as well. And also coming through uh, Kukova in the first round. So another decent performance as well from Shelby Rogers. Yeah, I think I had Onjibor for the final and Shelby Rogers for the semi-final. Mm. So I didn't Not do bad. too badly. Not yeah, bad. they, they both reached a round less than I had predicted. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I was quite pleased with that. Actually. I felt slightly mm. smug. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought it was quite funny. I was I was watching uh, a bit of Shriontek actually earlier in the week because I felt the first couple of matches from Shriontek, I was like, yep. Yeah, she is going to be winning this like quite easily. Quite easily, she was just ruthlessly going through her opponents. She beat Petra Martic six one six three. Then she beat Kudametova six one six love. Um, and then she came up against Ostapenko, and I thought Ostapenko is just not going to be able to live with Shriontek. But it was a complete role reversal, and uh, yeah, it was quite surprising to see. And um, you know, I think Shriontek would be a little bit disappointed given yeah how it went from being so ruthless to 
yeah, Yelena Ostapenko giving her a bit of a lesson, uh, to, to be honest with you. Um, but um, yeah, there's some very kind of pleasing kind of results there, I think, for players who, again, a little bit like Grigor Dimitrov, we've not really seen too much of of this season. But again, like on the men's side, we didn't really have the the top players, the top seeds really living up to the bill, did we? No, I mean, just one thing on Ostapenko, she did have quite a good grass court season this year. Um, I think she she won Eastbourne. Um or did Contivate win Eastbourne? It was one of the two. I think Ostrofenko <laughs> won. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I mean, on Jabor as well, she's now into the top 10. So she, again, continuing to to make uh, history. Uh, she's the highest ranked Arab tennis player ever in history. So by getting to the semi-final, she's now into the top 10. But yeah, the top seeds, Muguruza was out uh, very early in her first match to Tomljanovic. Samina Halep lost to Sasnovic. Uh, Pliskova. She definitely did not live up to her number of one <laughs> seed because she lost to uh, Haddad Meyer. Mm, um, lucky which, loser. Yeah. So, I mean, sorry, Kvitova. Uh, sorry, Pliskova. Mm. Uh, that is just, I mean, we, we weren't really maybe expecting her to go that far. Even by Pliskova's standards. I mean, she's done well in the past at Indian Wells. That was a... That was a very, very surprising result to see, um, you know, to, to wake up to. Um, I think, yeah, I think it was, it was certainly, yeah, it was certainly a tournament, a game where it was opportunities for lower seeded players to, to, to make a name for themselves. And just, just talking about Sasnovic, because yes, she be- did beat Simona Hallett, but she also beat Emma Raducanu because we were again, ho- hopefully talking about a, uh, yeah, Simona Hallett versus Emma Raducanu's second round match which had potential, but Sasnovich came in and just said absolutely no to, to all of that. And yeah, I think it was a bit of a reality check, wasn't it, for, for Emma Raducanu? It, it was a match where it just it just passed her by. It was, you know, 6-2, 6-4. You know, I think it was really interesting, actually, to see the reaction to this match, because I think there were lots of different kind of angles you could kind of look into it and you know for me kind of watching that match I think it was just kind of a bit clear I was sort of asking myself how much tennis has he actually played between the US Open final and this match because it didn't it felt like she had had missed a step a little bit and um, you know I don't think that's any any sort of bad thing but um, yeah I don't think it was the it, it was it was certainly a bit of a shock to the system I think from the the high that she had obviously reached um, you know a few weeks before at the US Open. Yeah, six two, six four, um, straight sets by Sasnovich. I think uh Radicani was a break up in that second set and then kind of lost the mm. last like four games on the trot and she just wasn't able to play with the same, you know, freedom, I guess, that she had at, at you know, Flushing Meadows and, and quite understandably so. Like there's a lot of pressure and expectation and media attention and the spotlights on her and you know, this is at the end of the day, this is still like only her fifth tour event level she's yet to actually win a match on the WTA tour or even play I think what a three-set match on on the tour so this is still very very early days and you know it's a bit disappointing that she couldn't you know even win one match but actually you know she can learn so much from every match she plays whether she loses or wins it and um, yeah I don't think that it's really much to worry about. Yeah because the the one thing I was a bit sort of because she's I mean, it it feels like she going into Indian Wells. It, it looked like her schedule was pretty full. Um, you know, following it in in Europe, and you know, the new the most recent news we've had is that she's she's pulled out of of Moscow and, and the Kremlin Cup, uh, so she won't be appearing there. So it feels like it's not gone totally. I think to plan. You know, since since you know since winning the the US Open, yes, you know we've we've seen the partnerships and the the sponsorships and all the the collaborations. But it does, I do, I do hope that you know her team have got her and are like you know ready to kind of knuckle down in terms of you know getting back to getting back to the grind of the, the tennis world. Because even though you know she is still very young and, and inexperienced, I still think it's a very it's still a very delicate and I think fragile moment that they'll need to make sure that they guide her through correctly and i think you know with the fact that you know, she obviously is split with her um you know, split with her coach who, who guided her um to the us open title andrew richardson i think she's on another trial i think with a, another coach at the moment um you know it feels like there's a lot of different sort of variables kind of going on and and i think there needs to be a little bit more sort of uh, a flat line i think because at the moment it still feels a bit whirlwind and i don't know if that's sort of translating into 
potentially not, not as good results on, on the tennis court. But I mean, this is one match. This is one event. It, we know there's plenty more to come. I think that's what's so exciting. The fact that she's such a, such a youngster, you know, she's got her whole kind of career ahead of her. So I think, as you said, experiences will be, le- losing experiences will be just as valuable as, as winning experiences as well. Absolutely. Yeah, quite right. And um, I think it's quite a lot, you know, as an 18 year old to have quite a busy schedule. I mean, mm. I know it would, I would be daunted by that. So I think she needs to pick and choose her tournaments wisely. And, and like you say, you can learn, can't you, from everything, like even just being at the tournaments, not even just the matches, just the whole vibe and experience. Like it's all going to be just learning, learning, learning. So she can have that mindset, which I'm sure she will because she's very level headed. So, um, I think, you know, onwards and upwards. Um, and I guess just to round off Indian Wells, Joel, um, from the women's side of things, we had Elise Mertens and Sue Wei Shea winning the doubles there. Um, Elise Mertens is now back at number one in the doubles ranking. So is Shea at number two. Um, they beat Kudermatova and Rybakina in the doubles final. Um, most notable, though, was Sue Wei Shea's uh, <laughs> like dragon or dinosaur hat that she was wearing, um, mm. which sort of... I mean, I don't know what that's about. I think she said she got it from someone in the physio room who mm. was their birthday and she wanted to wear it. But I mean, yeah, a bit of, bit of a laugh there. It's, has Halloween come early? I'm not, I'm not totally <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, listeners, just search dragon hat Sue Wei Shea if you want to, ha- if you want to have a look at it. Um, but I, I think it does show, you know, they're very, you know, they're very likable. They're very relaxed as well, I think. And I think that's what is helping them play such good tennis. Um, and they are such a force in, in, the doubles arena and uh yeah she's such i mean she's such a character yeah yeah i wonder yeah i feel like that's gonna that's got to be her halloween outfit in uh in a few weeks time maybe she's gonna play the transylvania open and, and bring it out on uh when she enters the court quite possibly i i would love to see that i think it should be i think she should keep it going i'd love to see that um, <laughs> is it a dragon or is it a dinosaur though well i've seen various being banded around <laughs> on various websites um <laughs> looking at it i would go more with the dinosaur but yeah i think it's a dragon (laughs) i think it's a dragon (laughs) well what 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 do the listeners think dragon or dinosaur let let's let's find out elise mertens needs to get a matching one then (laughs) then then tennis life is uh is complete it's complete oh there we go um talking about tournaments this week joe we have got a couple that have started we've got the kremlin cup in uh russia which I've been told Sam Query is not playing. I uh, don't want a repeat of that incident last season. I think he'd be too scared to set back foot on Russian soil, seeing as he was so desperate to leave last time. Um, we've also got the European Open in Antwerp and a new uh, tournament for the ladies in Tenerife, which is exciting. Um, let's begin in Russia with the Kremlin Cup because we have got, um, well, that's actually a, a mixed event. So we've got the WTA 500 there and ATP 250. Uh, Sabalenka is back uh, after having tested positive for COVID. She's the top seed in the women's event. Muguruza is the second seed. Going on her Instagram about how cold it is in Moscow. No, she's not. Not good she, for Spaniards. No, she absolutely is not uh, loving the cold there. Uh, I think it's the reality check. <laughs> yeah, particularly going from Indian Wells, which, as I said, brut- it looked brutally hot at times um, in that desert heat, all the way to Moscow. I think that's a complete... A complete climate change. Um, hopefully Muguruza, yeah, she can do a little bit better than she did in, in Indian Wells, which wasn't, which wasn't great for her, but she's the second seed. Sakari is the third seed as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, so it's going to be an interesting draw. I mean, it is a 500. I think it's a, a decent draw. Quite a few Russians, as you would expect. I, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm wondering, I'm looking at for some reason Pavlichenkova, uh, could maybe kind of put a run together in that bottom half. I'd be interested to see how Sabalenka comes out against Tom Janovic because, you know, Tom Janovic again had a very decent, uh, upset win, um, in Indian Wells. So, uh, she will be full of confidence at the moment. She came through Samsonova today. Um, Onjabor also there could, uh, in that top half. So yeah, quite, quite an interesting join. You've also got Simona Halep. So, yeah, very interesting. I think that that top half looks looks a bit tougher, I think, than the bottom half. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how the Russians go, how Simona Halep goes. I mean, she's still what coachless, and I'm expecting her to win. I'm, I'm hoping that she can win at least one more title. I think before the, the end of the season. 
And looking at the men's 250 uh, for Moscow, we've got Rublev top seed, Karatsev second seed. So, you know, doubles partners, uh, <laughs> other opposite, op- opposite mm. ends of the draw in their home event. Uh, obviously, lots of Russian uh, players in there. Um, but we've also got the likes of, you know, Laszlo, Zier and Krajinovic. So a few Serbians in the midst as well. I mean, just looking at this draw, hard to look beyond really Rublev or, or Karatsev mm. or perhaps someone like a Marin Cilic coming through. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, Karen Kachanov potentially. It oh, feels yes. again, yeah. feels maybe again, yeah, like potentially a, a, a Russian. It could be another a Russian win. I'd love to see a Rublev Karatsev final. Interestingly, Kim, I did look at the doubles draw. They are not playing with each other. Um, Rublev is playing with Kachanov and then Karatsev is actually taking a wild card into the, into the men's doubles with Richard Muzeev, um, and they could potentially, if they both win, they could potentially face each other with different partners in the uh, the second round. So that could be quite quite an interesting one. But um, yeah, another another ATP 250 in Moscow. Yeah, I'm expecting a Russian champion. So uh, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see indeed. And over in Antwerp, we've got the European Open for the men, where Yannick Sinner is the top seed and Diego Schwartzman is the second seed. Um, this is where Andy Murray is playing this week. You know, he he won this event, didn't he, two years ago, I think. Mm, yep. And um, he's got Francis Tiafo in the first round, which again is another sort of slightly awkward, tricky first rounder for Andy as he's, you know, still getting wild cards and having to just deal with whatever happens. Um, I think that's winnable for both. You know, TFA's had some really good wins this year on the tour. Um, but I know that Andy has beaten him as well, um, mm. I think, this year. So certainly could go either way, I think, that one. Um, there's some quite fun matches in the top bit of the draw. Uh, a lot of Italians could be a Sinner Musetti first, well, second round, because Sinner's got a bye, um, which might be quite a fun match. But yeah, I feel for this one, looking at Yannick Sinner, and I'm looking, yeah, perhaps if TFO can get through Andy Murray, actually, I feel okay. like he could go on a bit of a run. But maybe Andy could. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I certainly, I could see that. It's certainly, a, it feels like a 50-50. We'll find out. I think they're playing, scheduled on tomorrow after work, quite usefully for British fans around sort of 5.30, 6pm. But um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's sort of annoying, I think, for Murray. He seems to get these draws that are just not, not ideal but you know we we know this is what it's what happens when you you take kind of wild cards and uh i think he, he you know if you look at the bigger picture i think certainly that bottom half with you know the top two seeds being garion and schwartzman that's a, the better half i think to have landed in but at the same time yeah he's gonna have to kind of bring his best i think to kind of get through those you know tfo and, and schwartzman who've both been um you know a very both very kind of solid competitors. I mean, I know Schwartzman lost quite easily to to Nori in Indian Wells, but you know, again, it was quite. I think he had been in a bit of a slump actually, and, and for him to progress as far as he did in in Indian Wells was definitely a step in the right direction for him. And I think he'll obviously be wanting to kind of push that even further. But I mean, you've got Lloyd Harris, Riley Apelka could be quite a handful um, in the you know on these hard door hard sorry, on these indoor hard court, hard courts. And you've got Botic van der Zanschulp, Kim, uh, unseeded against Popperin, which I think is probably one of the pick of the uh, first round matches. Uh, you know, both did quite well at the, the US Open. So I'd be, I've, I'd have a bit of an eye on that one as well. Absolutely. Botic van der Zanschulp, now of mainstream tennis fame. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, last but not least, we've got the WTA event in Tenerife, which I think is a new one. Uh, fantastic time to go to Tenerife for a holiday and combine it with some tennis, mm. perhaps. Um, but yeah, Svitolina is headlining this one as the top seed. And then second seed, Tamara Zidanzek. So um, I feel like that's quite a golf with Svitolina mm. sort of quite a way ahead in headline the rankings. act yeah yeah of, as, headline act the there quite quite um yeah quite a, a sizable headline act there you do think that looking at this draw that Svitolina is a little bit of the is a big bit of a, a heavy favorite I think and I think you know there is a bit of pressure on her because she, you know, she hasn't qualified yet for the uh the end of season WTA finals so you know for her this is a big opportunity I think given the draw she's got to uh to get some points to uh, hopefully, yeah, cement her kind of position there. Um, I think though, she, you know, she is in a, a half that's got, you know, Goljevic, Camilla Georgie, uh, Clara Torson's got Heather Watson in the first round as well. Um, so, you know, there are some interesting players that she could potentially kind of come up against en route to the final. But certainly you think that, that Svitolina will be looking at this thinking, oh, you know, I should, I should be getting to the, at least to the, the final here. 
Absolutely. You think this is hers to lose, really. Mm. Um, but I do think that someone like Sara Saribis Tormo, you know, home soil mm. or Camilla Georgie might do very well as well. So certainly not um, a given for, for, for Svitolina this week. But we shall see. We'll be back next week to to round up what happens, you know, how well will Andy Murray do? Um, how will all the Russians get on at home? Will Svitolina win? Um, you know, we'll, we'll discuss that next week, Joel, won't we? Kim, I'm just looking at the Tenerife draw. We could also, very exciting. I don't think this is going to happen. We could have an Alison van Utvand versus Greet Minnen quarterfinal uh, if they both come through kind of two matches. I don't I don't think that's going to happen, but I'd love to see that. Obviously, they're both partners. Uh, so I'd love to see them face face off against each other in the singles arena. So uh, yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that progresses in Tenerife, how all the tournaments progress as we move back into Europe and the indoor hard courts. We've got one men's masters event left as well in Paris, and it's all up for grabs in terms of the ATP end of season finals as well as the WTA end of season finals. So listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this Indian Wells catch up. Uh, remember to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Castbox, Stitcher, and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app. And if you want to show your support for the show, then why not leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts? And you can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do get in touch. If you haven't already or you don't follow us, give us a like and a follow. Uh, you can reach us on all those channels, but you can also drop us an email on PassingShotPod at gmail.com or check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next week at Passing Shot HQ to look back on all of the tournaments in Europe this week on the ATP and WTA tours. How will Andy Murray get on against Francis Tiafo? Will Elena Svitolina live up to the billing and win in Tenerife? We will soon find out, but I hope you can join us for our next catch up and we will see you again soon. <laughs>